Sandy, we are back on a shared word. How are you doing today? I'm great. You? Yeah, I'm doing well. Good. I love our conversation here. Yeah, it's good. I've been loving studying the life of David slowly with you, and you just bring out such insight. I'm grateful. I this is all right. Let's let's let people in underneath the hood a little bit. Yeah. This is content that you are real excited about. So I'm going to let you drive the conversation today. Because I know that this is this is deeply powerful for you. <laughs> we do I, we do that with each other. Yeah, we I do. think it's great. By the way, I just think this idea of studying together yeah. is something I hope people get into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people read the Bible on their own, but there's nothing like getting a friend and sitting down and going through it together the way we are. I hope we're modeling that a little bit. Fantastic way to see things, learn things. I learn from you. You learn from me. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. So. Uh, I'll take your cue and, and let's get going. Uh, well, it, it might be good just to kind of recap. Yeah. So we've talked about David was anointed uh, and how he was just the unexpected uh, choice in that way. How God saw not the outward appearance, but God saw the heart. We saw uh, David defeat Goliath in this last episode that we did. And, and for me, you would think that after that great victory, then David is catapulted into leadership. He's ready to be king. And that's ready to happen, and that's not how the story goes. Right? No, it doesn't happen now, and it fr- and frankly, it doesn't even happen after uh, the story we're about to discuss with that's each right. other. That's right. And so the delay—that's very, very interesting. It's a key part of what we're going to talk about. So as we discussed, Saul uh, was the king, and I guess on the earth, despite the anointing of David, Saul is still the king for all practical pur- purposes. And it's just an issue that Samuel has to deal with and that David has to deal with and the world has to deal with. We have a decision by God that David should be the king, and yet Saul is the king. Hmm. And how do all the players react to that reality? And that's where we want to start today. Um, What does Saul do? What does Saul think about this uh, the, the, the rising David? the conqueror of Goliath, uh, the new fellow on the block who must have been a sensation. Um, whether people knew about the anointing or not, here he comes. Yeah. Uh, what, what's Saul's reaction to that? And it's like, it, it's even though the community did not know of his anointing, they know that he's anointed. They know he's been set apart, that, that God's with him. Uh, and that actually causes problems. You know, yeah. when he returns... Uh, this is the first kind of glimpse of a real issue is when, when David returns, people begin to sing, they begin to dance and celebrate David. And unfortunately, what they say is uh, Saul has slain thousands and David his tens of thousands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's my question of you. Let's get started with this. What's Saul's reaction uh, to this rising uh, figure on the landscape? What 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 do you think? What does he do? What does he think? And then what does he do? Yeah. So he he keeps an eye on him. Like there's, it's almost like when he returns, the seed of jealousy starts to be planted. And to give Saul credit, um, he, Saul's the first king. There's no precedent that there is for. Okay, I guess my time is up, David. It's your turn. I 
I believe no clear term limits. Is that no, no clear term limits. And I'm sure that Saul <laughs> thinks when my time is over, my son will step in. Not David, not this person out of nowhere. Uh, and so I'm sure he was confused. He was certainly had an eye of jealousy quickly thereafter. And that sets the that sets just real unhealth within not only in, in his own heart and his own mind, but also uh, with David and the community, it begins a problem. It begins a problem. And he begins to manifest that in outward uh, ways, in outward actions. Uh, we know where this goes. Let's go ahead and uh, help uh, those listening with us understand a little bit of the progression. That jealousy, uh, those feelings, those uncertainties, those inadequacies, uh, irrespective of the fact that Saul is doing his best. Uh, he made mistakes. Samuel saw that. God saw that. But he is uh, taking action to, to lead the people. Uh, but what do we begin to see him actually do to manifest those feelings uh, toward David? So uh, David is, like you said last time, he's, he's a man of many talents. And so he's actually, he's after uh, defeating Goliath, David is invited to actually stay with, with Saul and uh, one of the things that, that David does is he plays music for him. Mm-hmm. And something that's interesting around the text, and I was, I've been really interested in getting your take on it, is Saul becomes afflicted by an evil spirit. That's how my translation mm-hmm. speaks of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, which for me, it's a tricky, that's a, that notion, it's hard for us to get our minds around. What does it mean that, and even in my text, is an evil spirit from God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> does God really dole out evil spirits? I've wrestled with that, and I've been curious. So what, is that, what does that mean to you? Well, I, you know, part of it, I mean, just think, we, we have explicitly the idea of jealousy. Yeah. Uh, we have this sense of being, div- and what is jealousy? I mean, there's all sort. we've talked about it in Proverbs and elsewhere. There's a sense in which your spirit is diverted yeah. off into an unhealthy, unproductive direction. Yeah. Instead of thinking about what's right for the community, what's right for these relationships, you're thinking now a lot and you're devoting your spirit a lot to a concern about, an ill feeling about, maybe even beginning to plan action against yeah. those who are the source in your mind of the jealousy. So it, it, his spirit is diseased. Yeah. Right. And it's almost in my life. I know this, and I think all of our lives, when we've experienced jealousy, it can be an obsession. Yeah. In many ways, what the way in which the scripture often talks about uh, being possessed, <laughs> like, yeah. It, it, you, your perspective becomes so skewed. You're not seeing reality anymore. Right. Because uh, you're seeing it through the filter of this jealousy, and this compels Saul. In a fit of rage, it, David is playing music for him, and Saul had a spear in his hand. And he hurled it. He hurled it to David, saying he's going to pin David to the wall. And David not only escaped this once, but he escaped it twice. Right. Saul's not thinking anymore about the the welfare of the community, right. defending the community. Uh, he is taken over uh, by this desire to uh, to 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 do David in. Um, then the question, it seems to me, gets to be what. How does David respond to that? Hmm. One of the things that's generated by all this uh, in David's reactions is we all have the beneficiary. We're all the beneficiaries of psalms he wrote mm-hmm. about the experiences he had mm-hmm. fleeing and being lost. 
And I guess we get some guidance, some direction in those Psalms about what he must have been thinking and so forth. But what was his reaction, Mark? He, I don't know how or why he's developed a sense of reverence for God's timing, this this sort of uh, duty that, that Saul is still king. And um, so I would think that most people, if they had been anointed by God, they would easily say, your time is up. It's obvious your time is up. This community wants me to step in. And when violence is shown to him to easily return it, return it with violence. But David doesn't do that. Right. Right. Um, that is so true. And one gets a sense in the Psalms that um, he, he is concerned. He is anxious. He is fearful. Uh, and as we know in the plot, he actually, we wonder, does he have the power mm-hmm. to kill? Uh, would he have the, if he wanted to? And we certainly find him in one of these episodes with Saul completely vulnerable uh, to David. And could have been, David could have killed him. Yeah. He takes a little piece of cloth. Yes. Uh, and then resent, regrets having even done that <laughs> as if he yeah, had so, done damage to the cloth. Yeah, or, so what is this? Uh, this is in 1 Samuel 24. David is actually in his, some of his men are hiding in a cave. Yeah. And Saul steps in to relieve himself. Yeah. That's nice biblical language right there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, while David's there, what he cuts off a corner of his cloak. Yeah, and then he regrets that. Yeah, uh, and, and some of the commentators say that he regretted doing damage to the cloth. One could say, I think maybe more realistically, or maybe more profoundly, actually, that he uh, felt badly that he needed to show yeah. show Saul, look, I could have done this. It just like made his his action less pure. Right. But how pure it must have been, as you were suggesting, to have a sense of caution. Hmm. This man still may have God's franchise in some way. I don't want to disturb it. That um, I feel a sense of duty to him, no matter what he's trying to do to me. Uh, And a sense of concern about what the future would be like if he were or if his people were to kill him. You know, one of the things I want to get you to think about this, I've been doing a little work separately on what it might mean to love your enemy, hmm. which we find in both Jewish and Christian texts. Yes. Uh, here, one could sort of think of Saul as David's enemy. <laughs> right. Is he teaching us? I mean, I don't want to sidetrack us too much from the actual story, but is he, among other things, teaching us about how to treat someone who we might consider to be, or might be acting at least, like our enemy. That's right. It's interesting because it's very clear that in Saul's eyes, David is his enemy. There's this tragic story within this uh, within the section of Scripture in 1 Samuel 21 when uh, David flees from Saul. He's by himself. He's very desperate. He, he, makes some question, he makes some questionable decisions that I think he ends up regretting. And when Saul finds out who has helped him, uh, the way that Saul speaks of him, Saul rarely says the name David. He either says Jesse's son or he says my enemy. Yeah. He can't even relate to him as a person anymore. Right. And what's interesting is... Even though he's also his son-in-law too. Yeah, he, right. That's right. Yeah. 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 And uh, But for David, he continues to see Saul as as more than his enemy. I don't, I don't know of a time or a place where 
where David explicitly calls Saul his enemy. No, and, and doesn't that tell us something about the idea of having an enemy? Yeah. That he does so much to resist the idea of having an enemy. And I think that's really, really instructive. If we think about loving one's enemy, it begins with not even calling them the enemy or trying to resist the idea of them being the enemy. Mm-hmm. Doing everything you can do to keep it from being an enemy and trying your best to pull the person. How many times does Saul say, once at Jonathan's behest, once after David could have killed him but doesn't, Saul comes back and says, forgive me, you're right. Hmm. Uh, he does, sometimes he goes back then and is, is evil again and gets caught back up in the jealousy. But David is actually pulling him away from those feelings. Listen, it's natural that someone would be jealous of David, but it's also beautiful that David is working so hard to keep this from being something where he will do evil, where David will do evil. And he's trying to obviously protect himself from Saul doing evil to him. And he tries to get rid of the enmity in every which way he can. He can't give up God's anointing him. He can't give up the leadership that he's duty-bound to give the people. He can't make it easy for Saul in those respects. But given what his destiny is, he devotes tremendous energy and his own peril to try to reduce this enmity. And I would say for his own sake, but wouldn't you say too, for the sake of the people and the future? That's right. What effect does it have on the future that he does this? Well, you got to know that people are watching. Yeah. People are watching, and even though Saul, he's unable to see David as anything else as than a threat and an enemy, even his own son Jonathan says, he's not your enemy. He's done everything that you've asked him to. Don't you remember what he's done? Yeah. And Saul can't see it, but everyone else sees it. And I think, perhaps, that the community is watching how David is leading when he's not allowed to lead. Right. Like, we think that... Uh, our leadership is only seen when we're in that we're in that throne, we're in that that big position. But the reality is, we we're leading in the way of our life, it, regardless of our position, our our status. And people are watching that. Perhaps people's uh, perspective of David's life will give him authority to lead later on when he finally is in that throne. Absolutely. And you know, the the thing I love is that it continues in very powerful ways, even after Saul dies. Right. Uh, Saul and Jonathan are fighting for the people. Uh, Saul gets trapped in a situation where he will be killed. He actually takes his own life. Uh, but after that battle is over, at the same time, actually, that David is winning a major battle for the people against Amalek. They return, and David believes it's very important. And he gives a dirge. He gives a memorial speech hmm. uh, at, uh, after it's learned and the bodies come back of Saul and Jonathan. And I want us to close out a little bit in thinking uh, about that memorial dirge. Um, this is in Second Samuel chapter 1? Chapter right? 1, yes, right, exactly. Uh, and it's uh, verses uh, 18 through uh, 27. Uh, and he says, Beloved and pleasant in their lifetimes, and in their death not parted. Pleasant, I mean, 
uh, I mean, again, sometimes I think in service of God, we may we may depart a little bit from what we remember or the fact yeah. or the truth, but it's in service of God that he remembers what's beloved and pleasant about both Saul and Jonathan and says, they're not gone. They're not gone. We have to create a memory that keeps them in our minds and our spirits. Uh, oh, daughters of Israel, weep over Saul. Yeah, he's saying actually weep. Weep over weep Saul. More, I mean, this is a fellow of, remember, we've, we've just talked about the story here. And he's encouraging uh, to, uh, to the daughters of Israel, the children of Israel, to weep over Saul, who would clothe you in scarlet and finery, and who would place golden jewelry upon your clothing. These are terms, of course, this jewelry and this clothing, this is throughout the prophets. He's using language that they're very familiar with. And this is language typical of the finery of our, of our marriage to God. Mm. The clothing of the bride, the jewelry for the bride. These are great treasures that associate our relationship with God and our deepest values. And he's saying, in effect, that this is what they have done uh, for them. They've fallen in battle and they should be remembered. There are people alive who were followers of Saul. There are people who are family of Saul. And doesn't this work when he says at the beginning uh, of this dirge, he wants the children of Judah, uh, we must teach the children of Judah the archer's bow. Now, one might say that's about the military, that we must, just as they were fighting for us, we must fight and we must learn how to fight successfully. And David was a warrior, among other things. The Hebrew word suggests that this may, all, may be something altogether different. We as leaders must teach the children of Judah how to live through difficulty. Hmm. That, the Hebrew word difficulty and archery are sort of close to each other. Oh, really? And the difficulty might be the difficulty of enmity, the difficulty of difference, the difficulty of the pain that, of loss, all of these things wrapped up. David is stepping up now and showing through this dirge, through the selflessness, a commitment to helping teach the people how to overcome what he has overcome. Hmm. And he's showing and helping them and teaching them through having this dirge. Yeah. And, you know, I, we, would, we could close it here and it'd be lovely, but we must know and we must be sure our listeners know that the son that the children of Saul fought after his death, that they were entitled to yeah. continue to live. The struggle doesn't end. And he asserts uh, kingship uh, with some support of major figures of the north of Israel. And how? And David is still patient. Mm. For seven and a half more years, David is only the king of Judah. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the dysfunction we have in our family systems are passed down. They don't end. Uh, but David, he's learned to find God in the midst of the conflict, like you said, like to, to learn through the difficulty. I find in my life that the, the conflict I have in relationships usually is the crucible by which God is forming me. Yeah. Uh, I, I see a spiritual director. The first time we met up, he said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, I don't know. You're the director. Direct it. And he said, okay. What's the most complicated relationship in your life right now? Can we talk, can we start there? And I said, Why do you want to start there? And he says, and he said, it's usually in those in the most complicated relationship where God is the most active. Yeah. So rather than seeing Saul as this just nonstop source of pain and fear and insecurity, 
I wonder if David somehow believed that God was in the midst of it, forming him to be the king that he wanted to be. And challenging him. Uh, sort of challenging him. How patient can you be? That's right. Uh, my, uh, And you think about it. Every time we go off and do something wrong uh, in a relationship or in a community, how often is it that we do it out of impatience? Impatience. We don't like this, the difficulty. Yeah. We don't like the pain. Yeah. We just want to get rid of it. Yeah. We kill it. We we sh- we put it to the side. Uh, we're impa- We take action uh, I- I- impatiently. And I think David is saying throughout all of this, for the sake, for his own sake, for the sake of the community, for the sake of God in the community, for the future of the community, he's teaching us to be patient. And to let it happen uh, as it should. How powerful a lesson it is for all of us to use our power, yeah. sometimes in a way that is not does not seem powerful. Yeah, that's right. Patience does not seem powerful. But, I mean, like for me, I so wish I could have a, a snapshot of David's, what his, what his face looked like when he was anointed. With peach fuzz and all. Yeah. <clears throat> and and what his face looked like when he finally was king. The wrinkles, the, the how he aged and all of that through the years of patience, how God was forming and developing this this king who would be after God's own heart. I don't think that comes naturally. I think it comes through long suffering. Yeah, and hard work and, and hard doing work. and doing the right thing even though it, it it's painful, even though it would be so much easier. Uh, it, and it seemingly getting rid of the and, and seemingly in ways that would get rid of the problem yeah quickly yeah uh, getting rid of the problem quickly is not necessarily solving the problem the right way that's right David understands that better than anybody really in leadership that we may have ever seen uh, and I think one of the things I love about our next session is we'll, we'll look forward to talking about what the culmination of his of his coming to power uh, is correlated with in his mind. That is next week. Awesome. Can't wait. <laughs>